make me feel so young. You make me feel like spring has sprung. Like the way he's speaking, his confidence is peaking. Don't like his baggy jeans, but I'ma like what's underneath them. And Love is a However, we do talk about that, that at the end of the podcast, so if you don't really want to talk about real life stuff or hear about it, um, no worries. We're pretty much going to uh, talk about the episode and leave that kind of stuff kind of for, kind of for the, the end of it. Um, coming back and returning are some really great guests this week, so I will let them introduce Hi, uh, Hi, I'm Connie, and I'm sleep-deprived mine on Tumblr. I'm Nadia, and I'm Nadia Creek on Tumblr. I'm Kelly. I am Kurt McKinnon on Tumblr. All right. Well, thank you guys for doing this one with me, because I know this is a harder one to talk about. There's a lot of heaviness to it, but um, um, it'll be a good podcast. This, um, you know, this podcast, or sorry, this episode came out of the, the, the tragic uh, early passing of Corey Monteith, um, and because of that, the decision was made to um, to kill off the the character of Finn. And I guess before we jump in, let me ask you guys what you think. Do you think that this was the this was a good way of of taking the story and of dealing with Finn's character? Because I know that another option would have been like he's still in the universe, but we just don't see him anymore. Um, so how do you guys feel about the addressing of this whole situation? I think it was very necessary to do it this way. Um, I know that in fandom, uh, there was a lot of discussion about it um, uh, after Corey died, before they announced what they were going to do on the show, um, of whether it would be possible to keep 
him alive in the universe. But I just don't think that it would have provided the emotional resonance that we needed. Um, Finn was such an integral part of so many of the stories and so many of the other characters' lives that just sending him away to, like, you know, go live in London or something <laughs> or be in the military and, and not be seen again uh, or something like that would um, not have not have really honored him as a character, having him not come back for reunions, having him not um, uh, be a part of Rachel's life anymore or the life of his um, family with Kurt and his parents. Um, it, he just would have felt very absent and we would have all known why. So I think that um, by having the character of Finn also die, it provided an opportunity to honor his character and what he meant to everyone, the show, the the characters um, in his life and to the fans as well. Yeah. And I think, I think the fandom and the show needed that closure too, because otherwise if they had just like mentioned him here and there being alive and then the, then the whole audience would have known, well, it that would have just brought, brought that back every time and been, been hanging over the show the whole time. Mm-hmm. So I'm really yeah. glad y'all got that closure. Yeah. And for me, um, I think it was good because Glee has been known to address, uh, uh, tackle different to- topics that were relevant, like um, to the issues of this, to what was going on at the time. And I think this is a great way to, we may talk about this a little later, but uh, this was a good way to, to explore how different people, how the characters grieved and how, what is the grief process like? Because the... And it's, I think that's a very good reflection about how people, you know, people grieve, you know, in real life if something tragic happens. So I think this was a good way to address the grief process. Absolutely. I agree with all of your guys' points. And I I do agree that this was the probably best decision because I think this episode um, gives not only us a chance as fans, but it gives the cast and crew a chance to go through their grief process and tell the story their way. And then, you know, as you guys were saying, Finn isn't really lost. I mean, he's not, I feel like if they had said, okay, Finn went off to college um, and there's no mention of him ever again. And that feels disingenuous to the amount of, you know, that Finn and Corey meant to the cast and crew and the story. And so, yeah. Um, but at the same time, I don't want to gloss over how difficult it was was for the cast and crew to make this episode, because I know they went through a lot to do it. Um, and, um, you know, I, I'm glad that they chose to, because I think it was really the best episode, the best, um, the best choice for the show. So, um, but it wasn't easy for them. I think that going through it, um, uh, um, in ways that you said, it was very sort of cathartic and healing, um, but it was also tough to do. So I want to give them yes, credit for that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, you know, and this episode is number three. Um, I think that, and you guys need to share your opinions on it, that I think that it was better that they let this be not the first thing that season five opens with. I'm glad that Love, Love, Love and Tina and the Sky with Diamonds, the two-part Beatle episodes, were there just to kind of give this kind of light happiness, you know, something that they can jump into the season and have something fun to do before tackling such a heavier. It gives them more time to 
process it gives them more time to prepare for having to go through this and I think that it's a better decision that they put it number three as opposed to having it be the season opener Mm -hmm. I agree it's also an event that really changes everything I mean Finn's death changes so many people's lives and uh, if they had put it first, just imagine how much different um, Kurt and Blaine agreeing to get married would have felt. It just would have been a very different, they would have been in a different place in their lives coming to that after a major loss like that. And, you know, then the second episode is prom and like prom when you're mourning someone is very different than prom before that happens. Mm-hmm. So um, I just, it would have been a very different and much sadder storytelling had Finn's death come first. Absolutely. Yes. Well, and, and the tone of, interestingly, the tone of the season is actually very lighthearted, even though Finn's death is kind of on a layer uh, over everything. Um, but to mm-hmm. start out the season saying, hey, we are still going to try to be, you know, a optimistic and bright show in the face of this tragedy um, kind of set the tone for the rest of the season as well. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's that's something that's very intrinsic to Glee because Glee has never been a show about. You say that it's a very bright and cheery show, and it is, and that's what most of the audience gets from it. But it's never been a show that has shied away from troubles and real world problems. You know, their bullying storylines, their teen pregnancy storylines uh and these are all very um realistically done uh and the message that glee likes to send is that even though life can be terrible we still should take joy we still should um treasure our friendships and you know be happy through it all uh, as much as we can and so i think that um that season five stays with that it, it goes sadder when the sadder things happen and it goes happier when it's able to absolutely yes yeah. all right well getting into the actual episode itself <clears throat> sorry um we open with seasons of love and i think this is a really great opener to this episode to just start in you know i was thinking about this the other day because i rewatched the original song and there's not very many times that the show just opens with music and I think this is a one time, one of the times that I think is um, really fantastic that they do it because you have this song, it's about, you know, life and cherishing life. And it kind of brings out the cast of characters with the newbies and then the seniors and then the graduated seniors. And it kind of sets the tone for the entire episode. And um, I, it's a gorgeous arrangement. They, they sing great on it. You can tell there's a lot of emotion behind it. And it, it's a great way to open this, the, the episode. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think it was really, really well done. Um, coincidentally, just this past week, I saw Rent on stage in the 20th anniversary tour that came here. And, uh, uh, you know, of course, um, they, they sing that twice in rent the first time uh you know everyone just stands in a line on the stage just like they staged it on glee uh uh, though with more colorful and different costumes uh and they just stand there and sing it but then there's a reprise after the character of angel has died and they stand in the same line but there's a gap where angel had been standing before they don't fill it in there's a gap 
there literally on stage. Mm -hmm. And uh, just thinking about that and thinking about the way they also did it on Glee to showcase the loss of Finn and to have his picture up there at the end. It was just, it was very beautiful, mm -hmm. very moving. Mm -hmm. There are a few times this show has ever made me cry, and this opening montage was one of them. And I can't even say that I was that huge of a fan of Finn. I didn't really know much about Corey. But just the tragedy that watching, you know, the characters and the actors and everybody go through. Um, and then this song just being, you know, a bittersweet um celebration of, of life and holding on to those that you love and it, it just I guess all of the emotion of that really made me tear up the first time I saw it mm -hmm. um the other thing I wanted to mention about this number is that I think that you can kind of say this is representative of the funeral that we don't see um it makes sense I'm kind mm -hmm. of glad that they you know the show doesn't talk about how he died or when he died or the circumstances around the actual death part of it. And I think the funeral is definitely a part of that. So that's why I think it's also, you can kind of place it here at the beginning. Like we're going to start our, you know, after the, the tragedy actually happened. Mm -hmm. Okay. So moving on, um, we actually opened with Kurt's. And Kurt is alone, and Kurt is, interestingly, going to be the glue that holds a lot of this episode together. And he has an opening montage, and I, I'm, I'm going to actually read this, because I know last time we tried to record this, we, we did the whole thing, and, and I think there's a lot to pick out of, of this scene, so I'm going to go ahead and read the, the montage. Um, three weeks ago. Three weeks to the day since his funeral, and it's the first time I've had the courage to even look at the suit I wore. And now back to Lima for a special memorial Mr. Shoe's planning. We're all going back, everyone who can. Being together is hard. It makes it more real. But I also need my friends right now. People keep asking me, how are you feeling? What are you feeling? I have no answers. Honestly, what can you say about a 19-year-old who dies? Everyone wants to talk about how he died, too, but who cares? One moment in his whole life, I care more about how he lived. And anyone who has a problem with that should remember that he was my brother. This isn't real. I'm not going home for this. He's going to be there. I'm going to spend my entire life missing him. So, um, so yeah, <laughs> I think <laughs> that uh, that Kurt's opening monologue kind of sets up a lot of Glee saying, "This is what we're going to talk about. This is, you know, and this other stuff is what we're not going to talk about. And this is kind of where we're at in our emotions of the episode." Um, like he mentions, like, I don't want to talk about how he died. I want to talk about how he lived. And this um, is, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. Um, this is very much an episode about grieving. It's not about, um, what happened to, you know, most, most, uh, most TV shows when a character dies, they do a whole bunch of like leading up to the death. And, you know, of course, usually it's not based on real world events it's a planned character death because the actors leaving the show for whatever reason uh but um they you know they make the story all about um what happened to cause 
the death and why this death happened. But this is very different. This is a show about grieving because when a young person dies, when a teenager dies, it's usually um, something extremely sudden and unexpected. And uh, so there's this, the story is about the people who are surviving, the people who are going on and how their lives are changing. And we're here to honor Finn, um, but it's the, it's the survivors who are there. You know, it's, it's, it's them who are going through this. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? Yes, yes absolutely. Yeah. And I think, um, I, as you mentioned in Kurtz, when you were reading Kurtz's monologue, I really like how when he took the one and he said, everybody asked me how he died and you know, how I'm feeling and I don't know, you know, I don't know what to say. And that that's true of a lot of when somebody, you know, dies and you go through grief process, you have so many jumbled emotions. You don't know what, <laughs> you know, you don't know how to respond. So I'm glad they acknowledged that, that, uh, that point. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, and that is one of that line. When I went back and I did my meta for it, it was after some personal tragedies that happened in my own family, and nobody died. But you know, it it speaks to when something tragic happens, and you know, you're grateful when a lot of people are like, "Hey, how can I help you? How are you feeling?" What and then there's, you know, you go through it, and it's like. You don't know how to feel and you don't know how to respond. And sometimes you just need to process on your own. And, and as grateful as you are to anybody who is reaching out to you, sometimes it's like, I, I don't have any answers. I don't know how to deal with this. I don't have the tools for dealing with this. Nothing like this has ever happened to me. And whereas Kurt has gone through like his mother's death, it's still, you still don't always know how to respond and, and it takes time and your own process to kind of work that kind of stuff out. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. Kurt has faced death a lot. He's, his mother died. His father almost died. Um, we find out uh, in the, in the finale that he's contemplated suicide uh, early on in his life, and in his, his teenagerhood. Um, so he's someone who has thought a lot about death. And yet he's still um, he's still not sure how to approach the death of his brother and friend mm -hmm. um, because it's just such a shock. It's such a surprise. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, a couple of other points, you know, he says being together is hard, but it, and it, because it makes it more real. But at the same time, he needs those people that he loves. And, and, and I often talk about how Kurt, you know, is an introverted character and, and he's a very solitary character. But, at the, you know, and but he also finds comfort and he will through this episode of, you know, being with other people who are going through the same thing as he. Um, and I think it's interesting that. You know, he, if we talk, I mean, talk about Kurt and his own grief process. This is kind of where the episode shows it. Like, he is kind of inward. He's inward monologuing. He's kind of by himself in the loft. We'll talk about Rachel in a second. Um, and he's kind of getting ready and doing his own thing and kind of pep talking himself. 
And after this, you know, uh, time, he actually ends up being a pillar for pretty much everybody else on the show. And he steps mm. into a role of support um, as, and, and kind of that's partly how he's grieving, but that's also like he's kind of like dealing with it now so he can be stronger for the people that need him when he gets back to Lima, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yes. But even yeah. as he's dealing with his own grief, as he's packing and thinking about this, he's also thinking about Rachel because he puts away that picture so she won't see it. And he makes sure she knows that he's leaving the apartment and all of this. He's he's not only thinking about himself ever. Right. Mm-hmm. right. I also think it's interesting, like when you when he does the monologue, he's kind of very somber and very melancholy and really just kind of in a darker place but then when he approaches Rachel to just make sure she's okay he changes it's like a physical change and he becomes softer I just think that's really an interesting Mm. acting choice there because like Mm. it's more compassionate and um yeah I don't know um the other one last thing I wanted to mention is that his final lines like this isn't real I'm not going home for this I'm, I'm going to be there. Oh, he's going to be there. I'm going to spend the rest of my life missing him. Just kind of this, this doesn't feel like it actually happened. I can't believe it actually happened. And then knowing that this, like, this is a scar on your heart. This is going to be with you the rest of your life kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think we've all been there. We've all been in that position. Um, many of us were there um, thinking about Corey's death. I, I remember waking up the day after Corey died and the day after that and the day after that and thinking, it's not real. It's not, I'm going to go online and find out that, you know, I dreamed the whole thing or whatever. Um, And then also with, you know, um, uh, personal losses in my my life and my family and, uh, and feeling that same way that it can't possibly be real. Okay, so kind of going on from that scene, um, we get the next scene in the episode is actually the Sue, Emma, Beast, and Will, and how the adults are reacting to it. And, you know, Will is, it's kind of funny because Will is doing, like, they're framing him as what they're showing with Kurt being, like, the pillar for everybody else. Um, Though he's obviously having a very hard time with it. And Emma is actually being incredibly supportive and Beast is talking about the tragedy. And of course, Sue is being the one that's inappropriate, but it wouldn't be Glee and it wouldn't be society in general if there wasn't somebody being inappropriate about this tragic thing. Mm-hmm. So. I don't know if you guys yeah. can. It, it also, yeah, it also shows, it's good to see because it also shows the, that the fact that adults are grieving too. I mean, yeah, the Glee Club is green, but everybody that is, that was in Finn's life, they, I think it was a good conversation to have because, again, it just showed the different, where people are in the grief process and how people respond. Some people will be, um, some people are in shock. Some people are, you know, just wanting to reach out and help others. And there's some other people like Sue who makes snark, you know, who makes the, all these kind of, Callous comments, but underneath, that's her own way of, as we go on to see later on in the, the episode, that's her kind of way of uh, kind of responding to grief. So mm-hmm. I think it was a good way to show that, another good way to show it. 
um, the different ways of grieving. Um, so then we get into the the first thing is, uh, you know, it's the choir room scene, and it's kind of their way of being able to show, it's their platform for the kids to be able to express their grief through song. And Mercedes goes first, and I'll, I'll throw this to you guys. What do you think of Mercedes going first and of the solo stand by you? Uh, takers. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I think it's interesting that Mercedes goes first because she doesn't have a particularly strong connection to Finn. I mean, um, of course, all of them are friends, uh, but uh, uh, they weren't particularly close friends. They weren't dating. They weren't, um, you know, anything more than just... Uh, um, classmates who sort of bonded together over Glee Club. And uh, so in some ways, it might be easier for Mercedes than for some of the other people who had closer connections uh, to Finn. So she comes up there and she sings beautifully and sort of um, sets everything off uh, in this in this remembrance. Um, I think... Go ahead. No, no, go ahead, Connie. I think the um, the song choice itself was really I think it was uh, interesting because she sets it up that I'll stand by you as uh, she picked the song that he sang to his unborn child or when he thought there was his you know baby back in season uh, one and she holds I think she uses the example of how. He was a, you know, he he stood by, not only his, not, I mean, the, in that moment, but kind of stood, ref- used that song as his to remember him as a leader at the Glee Club, and how he stood by, you know, stood by um, the Glee Club as as uh, in moments as you know the different moments of the season. So, I thought that was a that's an interesting pick. Um, I. Also, will mention. Well, okay, I have two kind of points that are different from each other. The first one was about Mercedes and how I do think that when you know when things go kind of into crisis mode, Mercedes is a great character to kind of help pick people up as well. I mean, thinking about she helped out with Quinn in the pregnancy, and and when Quinn was kicked out, Mercedes stepped up and said, "Hey, be safe, me." Um, when Kurt was going through the stuff with his dad, she's like, "Come, you know." be with me you can you know and, and and I think that Mercedes is a really loving character and, and her kind of she's not necessarily a leader a lot of the times but she will lead the way when people need somebody to lean on and she's she's a character that you can rely on if you're going through something rough um, I think that's that's really right and I also think that because Mercedes has such a deep religious faith. She has a sort of model for grieving. She has a, a, a path that her religion lays out for her of how you deal with someone's death and how you think about it that um, character like Kurt um, wouldn't have or that a character with a more sort of casual relationship with religion, um, like many of them, I assume, uh, would, uh, would have to sort of struggle through it more on their own. Mm-hmm. 
the other point I kind of wanted to make is that Quinn is not there. Um, Diana Agron was asked to come back, and she chose not to. And um, I do remember at the time, people wondered if like this would have been a Quinn solo had, had Diana been there. Um, mm. I don't know. Um, just a thought I'm throwing out there. So, um, kind of going on, we have the next scene is actually... Um, the scene about the memorial tree, there was a memorial tree planted and it was ripped up and we find out, did we find out in the scene that it was Puck that did it? I remember. Um, mm-hmm. But um, Sue, Sue get, gets Kurt and is basically like, um, I want you to pay for it and it's just a little bit of lightheartedness amidst everything that's going on amidst some really heavier scenes so. and I think that Sue and Kurt are the only ones are the only people, the only main characters that have dealt with a personal loss of someone in their family mm-hmm. and they, they've always kind of had a bond too Absolutely. Mm-hmm. oh I forgot about that, the nice point that <laughs> Sue has lost her sister um, and it's mm-hmm. been a couple years but it's still you know, still relative I think it's so ridiculous that Sue asks Kurt for the money for the tree. I mean, it's not like she is broke or anything. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I know. totally paid for, for a replacement tree. Well, and then, you know, in this scene, um, Kurt doesn't even understand. He's like, why would anyone steal a memorial tree? And uh, Sue says, you know, sometimes people will hold on to anything they can of the person that they've lost. And while we'll see in the next scene, all of Kurt, you know, being with family and being immersed in Finn's old life, Puck, on the other hand, doesn't really have much. And so stealing this memorial tree is his, one of his ways of trying to hold on to Finn as much as he can. All right, so the next scene we get into is one of the heaviest scenes of the whole episode. Um, it is also, I think, one of the best done. I think it is. Um, it's incredibly hard, but it's incredibly moving. And uh, this is the scene with with Kurt, Bert, and Carol. And oh, they, yeah. they are in the. They're in the. Um, they're in Finn's room. And they're kind of packing up his stuff and kind of talking about their memories of him. And then, of course, it, it just unravels as they go along. Yeah, I don't know how Mike O'Malley or Romy Rosemont never got an Emmy for this. And because yeah. Glee was yeah. coded as a comedy, that's why. But they should have. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, they were incredibly moving and realistic. That scene just brings me to tears every time. Um, just the the sort of um, almost panic of loss that she's still feeling three weeks after the funeral, and um, and the way she has to go on being a mother and loving her son who's who's gone, who she'll never see again. Mm-hmm. It's it's really I don't know it's it's a 
it's touching that we get to see so many aspects, little details they put in that room of or Finn's old life. Of, yeah. um, you know, mentioning the football and the stuff that happened in theatricality with the lamb. Mm-hmm. And it, it just kind of, you know, then we get to the jacket, which is going to be kind of a symbol of, of Finn moving throughout the episode and how um, Kurt wraps himself up in it. And he smells it and it kind of is a throwback to Ballad when Kurt talks about the dresser that smells like his mom. Um, mm-hmm. I like the moment when Kurt like stretches out his arms and the, the jacket's still too long. Um but yeah, and then, you know, Bert, who says he he wanted, uh, like, he wished he could have just hugged him one more time, and, and that's such a real emotion, like, wish I could have told the person I love them one more time, I wish I could have done this, I wish I could have done that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a very reflective moment, I think, from each of them, because, like you mentioned, the scene from Piatricavi, in season two, when that episode, with that specific episode, with the uh, uh, fencing, using the word faggy, faggy, um, referring to the lamp, and, and that itself was a pivotal scene. And that to that, to having to go back, you know, to having them revisit that scene and kind of reflect, it was a very powerful moment to see Bert's take on that after some time has passed and how much he's. How much they've all changed since then. So um, that was a very powerful moment on his part. <laughs> I think another thing that's very powerful about this scene is how it shows the three of them being such a family. You know, they mm-hmm. um, they're a blended family, and the way that they have bonded together um, over everything they've been through is um, is very moving. Um, and, uh, uh, I, I love seeing them together as a family and supporting each other. Um, there are different groups that come together for support in, uh, in the choir room and other places, but many of them seem very alone. Whereas this family seems very strong and together, even though they're missing a huge piece of it now. Yeah. And even though they've only been a family for a short time, they really did and they really were acting like a family from the start. Like, you notice that Kurt never, I don't think they ever, they almost never called each other stepbrother. It was always just brother. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Each other as brothers. Little brother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I wrote in my notes, of the, Kurt says that Finn was like Superman in that in the jacket. And I, I wrote, you know, Blaine's the first person Kurt finds a real romantic love with, but Finn was the first boy who didn't treat him badly who stood up for him and who became his friend and then later his brother. And I, that bond was very deep and important to Kurt. And, um, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it, and it's sad that we didn't get to see more of it, but I do think that it was implied through, uh, through after Furt going forward. So, um, mm-hmm. the other thing I wanted to mention about Kurt here was that, um, this is the only time in the episode that he really breaks down. I mean, there, during a lot of the songs, he's tearing up. And for a character who's known for crying so much, he's very stoic for most of this episode. I just thought that was interesting. Mm. But yeah, then and then we end the scene with, with Carol, as you guys said. Um, one of the best performances the show ever gave. I, I just... 
she lost her husband and then she lost her, her child. And what she says about, you know, she's still, she doesn't stop being a mother. It, it's yeah, just so powerful and so hard. Yeah. Okay, so the next scene we get is um, the dumpster dumpster scene. I'm just checking which one is right. Yep. Um, the dumpster scene with uh, Puck, and it, this is an interesting dynamic because um, Kurt is watching them kind of, you know, make a memorial out of the dumpster. And Puck comes up and he wants the jacket. He wants, you know, he does it in his very puckish, bully type way because that's what he knows. And it's interesting that they flash back to um, the time, like very early season one, when Kurt, Kurt was getting thrown in the dumpster by Puck. Um, but it's interesting how much time and how much Kurt has grown up because now Puck is the one who seems kind of like. I, don't, I hate to say the word pathetic, it probably is a better word for it, but, and Kurt is the one that's grown and matured, and he's not afraid of Puck anymore, and he's yeah. know, just a much older character. I would say Puck is an outsider, and Puck is without status, right? He doesn't mm -hmm. have a claim or a connection that is being um, honored in a way. He was Finn's best friend, at least, I don't know if they still are best friends at this point, but in high school, School, they were best friends and um and he feels a deep grief but he isn't finding anyone who is treating him that way who is you know asking him if he's okay and helping him and asking if he needs anything whereas Kurt as the brother um who has um not as long of a term relationship with Finn, right? I imagine that Puck and Finn were, uh, well, we know from season one, Puck and Finn were already friends and Kurt was an outsider. Um, but their relationship, Kurt and Finn's relationship became much closer as their families blended. So Puck is feeling um, feeling left out. He's, he's feeling grief and he's not getting support for it. Right. And Kurt's not offering it either. I kind of wrote down that uh, Puck, in some respects, it's a little like Blaine around the dynamic duets. Because Blaine's line back then was, we were a dynamic duo here. He was my anchor, and now I, he's gone, and I just feel like I'm floating. And I feel like that really is kind of where Puck's character is around mm -hmm. this episode. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Because Finn was always a good influence on Puck. Maybe not uh, enough for Puck to quite turn into a good guy, but... But um, Puck certainly behaved better when Finn was around him. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, yeah. The next thing we get is Sam and Artie singing Fire and Rain. And the thing I want to mention about this um, is that this scene, yes, Santana's there, and she's kind of there because she, she kind of um, moves on with the Santana start part of the story kind of starts after this, but for the most part, this is just the newbies and the seniors. And I think this is the, a chance for that group of people to kind of have their own moments. Um, I, I wrote in my notes um, that the newbies don't play a whole lot of part in this episode, but I, I think it's disingenuous to say that Finn didn't mean a whole lot to them because Finn was really their mentor 
um, because Will was not really there. So I'm glad that they have this kind of, you know, private or moment to have their own kind of grieving session. Yeah, and in my opinion, like when he was their teacher, that was the best fan. Teacher fan, that was my favorite fan. Mm-hmm. Was really at his best, in my yeah. opinion. Same. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, the newbies do have a real connection with Finn because, you know, they have been his students, but it's a more distant connection because they weren't his peers, they weren't his friends, and they've known him less than a year because, remember, we're continuing the school year. So it's been less than a school year. They've known him maybe, you know, six months or something like that. So I think it's right that they take a much smaller role in this episode. Um, But I do like that they get a little moment to sort of be on screen and we get a chance to think about them and their relationship with him. Mm -hmm. And Sam and Artie too, because Sam and Artie were closer to Finn. Artie more so Mm -hmm. than than Sam, but, um, and they don't really get a whole lot in this episode either. But I think that a lot of times, a lot of these songs are indicative of how the characters are feeling. Yeah, yeah Sam. Well, Sam lived with Finn for a while. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know how long how long that lasted for, but so they did have some connection there. They did. I keep forgetting about that. Yeah, <laughs> they never and brought of course, up I don't think. Yeah, and, and Artie is one of the original Glee Club members, so that is a very long-standing relationship there. Yeah. Mm. For the life of me, I can't even remember what the song Fire and Rain is about, though. So bad. I didn't go back and watch the episode. <laughs> I don't know if you guys wanted to say anything before I move on. Okay, um, so before we get into the Santana thing, I did want to mention there's basically a little scene where they have a memorial at Finn's old locker, and uh, Figgins is there, and he has a couple of lines to say it. And, you know, a lot of people um, wanted to come back, and the the actor who plays Figgins asked if he could have a moment in the episode. And, of course, the... um, Ryan Murphy and company were very kind to like basically everybody who wanted to be a part of this episode be a part of this episode. So. Mm. Um, I also want to mention on the locker memorial that those notes that were posted up there were written by members of the crew, and you can see some of their names if you look at the screenshots. Um, uh, choreographers and um, people who worked on the sets, and uh, uh, every. One uh, wrote notes and signed their their names uh, to them. Um, you know, I'm sure they were expressing what they uh, what they felt about Corey's death, um, mm-hmm. and then writing that as a note to Finn to be included in the episode. So I thought that was a really nice personal touch to put on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So then we kind of get into the Santana stuff, and you know. There's been a lot of different kind of versions of grief that we've already gone through, and this is the anger aspect. Santana is having a hard time kind of processing everything, and what she does is she kind of lashes out, and she goes to Sue, and she just just loses it at Sue. And it's kind of a really intense scene. 
Yeah, I think it's because the reaction because Sue Sue wanted to have that locker uh, uh, memorial moved at a you know a certain time and Santana wasn't having it and uh, and it just escalated and um, I I think that the thing that really struck me about scene is that when she got physically confrontational with Sue, when she actually put actually to reach the point where she actually pushed Sue away from her. And I think she even shocked herself. But yes, uh, but that goes to show that some people absorb, you know, the way they deal with grief is through anger. And just as unfortunate it is to physically lash out sometimes, that's how people, that's how a person could um, manifest, it, it could manifest Fits itself through physicality and, and things. So, yeah, I also think there's a bit in here about people going through grief differently because Santana's anger comes um, partly from Finn's death um, itself, but partly because Sue isn't allowing a certain expression of grief to happen. She wants the mm-hmm. locker room memorial removed and uh you know santana feels that that's really important to keep up so um uh there are different ways to grieve and when someone tells you that your way is wrong or is not allowed then you know that can cause a lot of a a lot of difficulties yeah and that's consistent Mm -hmm. with sue the way sue handles grief because remember in funeral she's she doesn't want and she doesn't want to keep anything of her sister she just wants to bottle it up and 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 kind of just push down her emotions yeah. and it all comes out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so for Sue and maybe for some other people, um, looking at the locker memorial could be, you know, very difficult for them could be something that they don't want to encounter while they're trying to go about their school thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, this kind of jumps, that kind of ties in with the next scene, which is Emma talking to Tina and Tina, Tina is, she's wearing black, and she's kind of like, I don't know how much longer I can wear black, and it's kind of this, I want to say shallower (laughs) aspect of, you know, there's this kind of mentality that there's, when this tragedy happens, and if you're not personally affected, you can kind of, you know, how do I put this, like, you feel like you have to do something? Yeah. Like, you, you feel like you have to acknowledge that this tragedy has happened. And um, and then there are even people, like, I know that sometimes, like, I, I there is somebody, you know, dies in the high school, but you didn't know them. But, you know, you feel affected by it because, you know, you, you know, death is a, is a thing now that you didn't think about. But, you know, you... you think about it for a while, then you're like, okay, I'm, I'm moving on. I, I don't feel this way. Or there are people who kind of grieve faster, they, and like you were talking about with Sue, or don't, don't want to deal with it. But um, I just think it's interesting that Tina probably wasn't the closest to Finn at all. And she was a great person to say, okay, you know, I feel like I've gone through my process. Oh, I, 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 I want to go back to normal. I want to go back to doing normal things. I don't really want to do this anymore. And I think that was something that's really important for fandom to hear because we're all 
different places and we all have different levels of connection. Um, and I think all of us here are primarily part of the clean fandom. And uh, so we were focused on Kurt and Blaine and, you know, other characters that we liked and uh, Darren and Chris. And uh, we had less of a connection to the character of Finn than some of the other fans did. And we had less of a connection to Corey as a person than some of the other fans did. So there was, you know, some tension in fan communities over, you know, we were all sad, but, but when can we move on and, you know, start doing our fandom stuff again? Uh, and when is it too soon? When is it, it, when is it time to do that? And additionally, all of us in fandom, none of us were as close as people who knew Corey in real life, the people who were making the show. And I think mm -hmm. that um, it was easy with Twitter and Tumblr to um, forget about those distinctions and to forget that what you were saying um, could be seen by people who were hurting much worse than you. Um, and uh, just um, reminding us that, you know, people have different levels of connection. And I think one of the... Um, one of the pamphlets that uh, that Emma gave was something like, it's not all about you, which is, yeah. you know, amusing. <laughs> uh, but uh, um, also, you know, uh, gives us some permission to move on and to say, you know what, this is sad, but um, but um, my life uh, continues and, and I can put this behind me at some point. Right, right. I, I do know that there were a lot of people in fandom who did feel this really hard. I was not one of them, I'll be honest with you. But, you know, it. it's still about being respectful that there are people who are going through a harder time and to understand that, you know, their process of grief is not for you to dictate. Kind of going back to the right. Sue and Santana stuff, I do know that there was a lot of policing on how people should feel um, within fandom and even making that apparent to the people involved with the show and... You got to take a step back and that it's a yeah. process. And know, there was a lot yours. of pushback to that grief policing as well. Um, but I want to say um, who you were a fan of before Corey's death um, didn't necessarily correlate to how you felt after it because I never liked Finn that much. I always felt like he got too much screen time and got in the way. And then when Corey died and they made the decision that Finn was going to die on the show also... I had this realization of how important he really was to the show. And I felt bad that I hadn't realized it before. And I felt bad that I hadn't um, taken the time to find out um, who Corey was as a person, because I'm generally not that interested in actors and celebrities and hearing all these great stories about him. I was like, wow, I should have paid more attention to him. And, you know, I felt bad on that aspect that I had missed out on this thing that could have been so important and meaningful. And then mm -hmm. now I was just like taking the time to get to know it and feel sad about it at the same time. Yeah. I had the same experience. I had never really appreciated him until after he passed and it was, yeah, it was just such a shock. And like, I had never been that affected by a celebrity's death before or since then. Either. Weird. Mm, yeah. See. So, so yeah, it's, Again, with this episode being on multiple levels um, and how, you know, Glee is always known for its fourth wall breaking, but I think this is intentionally transparent um, so that everyone can be involved in the grieving process and, and, and tie it in with the character so well. I think this really, I just, it's a phenomenal um, episode all around. 
Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that this episode really was made as a gift to the fans. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they could have, uh, they could have made any number of choices of what to do on the show. Um, and how to address Finn's death. Um, but I feel that making it all about grieving and the different ways to grieve and the different ways to find your strength to go on um, was really for the fans of Glee, many of whom are teenagers, many of whom are young and haven't yeah. ever experienced a death in their personal lives, um, and, uh, and show them how to move on and provide this example for them and provide this path for them to walk down, I think was um, a tremendously wonderful thing for the cast and crew to do. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, I remember reading reading the, the, the interviews and things that, that spoke about the episode, and I forgot exactly where it was mentioned, but one of the one of the actors actually mentioned that it was as hard as, as emotional it was for them to, to make for the casting crew that they already had their the casting crew had already had their private memorial for themselves you know to remember Corey and so this episode was specifically for us to for the fandom to to say goodbye so I think yeah. Oh. Right, because they filmed it something like maybe what six weeks after his death or more. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and then uh, it aired something like three months after his death. So there was time to process. We had we had been through the initial shock and the initial discussions and grieving, um, and then this was sort of a it was a memorial. It was a way to mm-hmm. come back and look at it and reflect on it. You know, this mm-hmm. is a good time because I completely forgot to mention this at the beginning of the episode. But the title card is changed and the L of Glee is, is oh, Glee. Yeah. And, but that was actually a fan-made thing that the creators reached out to that fan and said, hey, can you use this as the title mm-hmm. card? Yeah, that was really beautiful. Yeah. And there was so much wonderful... Um, fan art and expressions of of what Corey meant to them and what Finn meant to them just amazing stuff that came out of fandom uh at the time and I remember someone on Tumblr I wish I could remember the the Tumblr name and credit her with it but someone said um an artist has died for the love of God make art and that sort of just became this um uh, sort of rallying cry for fandom to do its thing, and I just love that. And then mm-hmm. people from other fandoms. I remember a post going around at the time. It was, you know, like the Sherlock fans support you, the Supernatural fans support That's, you. Oh, yeah. The other fandom on Tumblr kind of rallied around. Mm-hmm. It's pretty incredible to see, you know, all fandom just come together and to support us as a fan, you know, as a Glee fandom. And the general media as well. I was quite surprised at all the attention um, that uh, Corey's death got. And it didn't seem like just, uh, you know, the sort of salacious celebrity death headlines. It really seemed that many people were very moved by his character on the show. Uh, You know, uh, people who write commentary about many TV shows, people um, uh, who do uh, celebrity interviews, they all seem to have a special place in their heart for Corey. Yeah. And, and to echo that, um, it was pretty amazing to see the Emmys acknowledge uh, 
his passing because I remember that year there were a number of celebrities and actors who died and the fact that they selected Corey as one of them and had uh, had um, Jane come out and speak, you know, on Emmy stage was pretty. Uh, I think it acknowledged the impact of the character, uh, you know, on on us as a fandom and acknowledged how he meant to the um, the show indicator. So that was pretty incredible to see. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, getting back into the episode, um, the next scene is Emma trying to comfort Will because Will's not really dealing with anything. Well, yeah, he's not really dealing with anything, and Emma's like, you know, you need to deal with this. You are kind of, you know, being strong for everybody else. And it's kind of interesting because Kurt, on the same time, at the same time, is kind of um, being a pillar for everybody else, but he is also being very aware of his emotions, and he's not trying to bottle them up. Uh, as much as like he has his own personal way of grieving, whereas Will is not dealing with his grieving. He's just kind of trying to pretend it's not there and, you know, be there for everybody else. But, you know, I'm not going to deal with how this is affecting me personally kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's surprising um, the way, uh, I mean, Kurt, with his family, he's supporting them and they're supporting him. They're all huddled together, but Will isn't, isn't, isn't doing that with his family. Who is Emma. Um, he's, he's just trying to be the supportive pillar without anything else. Yeah. And I think it's a, what, what something in what Emma said to Will really stood out to me. And I think it was great to acknowledge that she mentions that, Emma knows what he's doing and that he says, she says, whenever you're ready to, you know, whatever the time comes that you feel, you know, you feel like you react or you have to let it go, your emotions, that I'll be there for you when you, when you are, when that time comes. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think that's important to, to say because you need that wherever you are in the process, it's always good to know, have somebody tell you that no matter when you come to how you express your talents or whenever that moment comes, that somebody will be there to support you when that time comes. So um, I think that was something great for her to say. Absolutely. After that, then we get this beast talk scene. And... It's basically, I'm glad this is here. I know, like, I always say it's not the best acted one, but I think the emotions are real. I think the emotions in all of this episode are very real. And I'm glad that Puff actually does have somebody in Code Beast who can sit with him and talk with him and let him, you know, be his own, you know, way of grieving but have somebody be there mm-hmm. for him. And that's the whole point of this scene is to show that Puck isn't, Puck may not be part of the family, but he has somebody who's looking out for him and who understands him and who can relate to him and, and help him through this. And in this scene, you really get to see how much, or how much Finn meant to Puck as Sort of like uh, what when uh, when when Kurt and Blaine broke up, and Blaine said to Finn, you know, that without Kurt there, he lost his anchor. 
So it's something similar, like he says, I think Puck mentions to Beast that, you know, he's no longer there and he, you know, he feels lost. So, and that's when Beast tells him that he has to be his own captain now. So mm -hmm. um, it, it was, we don't really get to see that raw emotion from Puck, but I think that was one of the very times what we did and we even though he felt like an outsider looking in he he was going through his own process um so going on we have santana and this is her um this is if i die young um but she first starts it off she, she kind of is trying to make it light she trying to Kind of jokes about Finn being up in heaven, and you know she starts to sing this song about how to kind of hold on to life while you're still young, but then you know during the middle of it she completely breaks down. So this is the "If I Die Young." Santana sings "If I Die Young," and she kind of has, you know, she tries to be lighthearted at first about it, but then she kind of breaks down, and I will let you guys talk about that. Um, for me, this is one of the most moving scenes in the um, in the episode um, when she uh, tries to sing and then she just loses it and then she can't even um, stay in the room. She screams and she won't let anyone touch her and she just runs out. It's just heartbreaking to me how um, how much she falls apart. Just um, she's got all these feelings and she's trying to hide them and uh isn't able to isn't able to cope with it at all yeah in this scene the when i first saw this scene i actually was really startled just to hear scream and run out but um i think it was um like um the previous scene, or the earlier scene with the uh, Hudson Hubbles, I think it was one of the most raw scenes to me because you really don't see, at least for me, I, I hadn't seen Santana break down and be such a, in front of people and be so vulnerable yeah. in such a way before. And this is the time when she, you really see her transition and really watch her go through an emotional breakdown and I think it's really it's very um when I rewatched the scene I really took notice when I saw the um the her uh, member the her fellow members uh, the reactions the glee of her fellow glee club members to her singing because they know that you know they watch her break down and then that's when a couple people move up to you know try to comfort her and and that's when she screams and runs out. But I think that whole scene was was very effective, very emotional. And when I first saw it, it um, my first reaction was uncomfortableness because I, I, you know, didn't know. I was shocked to see Santana that way. But I think looking back on it and, and rewatching it, it was one probably one of the most emotional and. and vulnerable times I've ever seen Santana throughout the whole series. Mm -hmm. It's very well, well done. Teenagers tend to think that they're 
invincible and immortal. And I think Santana feels that more than most. She is a risk taker and she just kind of feels like she is always going to have time for whatever she wants. You know, she can be mean to people and it doesn't matter. She can go on. Uh, there'll be always time to make up with them later on if she wants to. And I think that she um, is really upset at confronting death. And uh, more so than, I mean, she did have, you know, a, a pretty significant relationship with Finn uh, and they had a lot of, of, odd history together um and i think i'm i'm sure that affects her but i think mm -hmm. even more than that just the idea that he could die and that one day she will die um has just shaken her to her foundations and i think that um in the next scene when um when she's in the auditorium with kurt i think that's really what's what's behind her um holistic of nice things about Finn and, and sort of wanting to not be the sarcastic person she always is. Mm. Um, yeah, so moving into that scene with the, in the auditorium, I think Santana is also often afraid of portraying real emotions. I mean, if you look back even to season two and how hard of a time she had dealing with the fact that she was in love with Brittany, um, Santana likes to have, you know, this facade of being, you know, tough and not letting anything get to her. And when things do, it's really hard for her to deal with that. Mm -hmm. And um, I kind of want to read Kurt's line because he has a great line in the auditorium. That, and Kurt says, you know, if there's one thing I've learned from Finn's death is that shame is a waste of emotion. I'm sure Finn had secrets too, but who cares now? you really think on your deathbed you're going to go think, oh, God, no one knew I was kind? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it was uh, that scene that was uh, um, struck, struck me because um, Santana felt safe, felt safe enough with Kurt to open up. And that Kurt let her have the space to open up. He didn't ask her questions. He didn't, he just let her talk. And, and sometimes you just need the space to open, to feel, have that space to feel, you know, feel like you can open up and not be judged by people. Absolutely. I mean, I think he do, he understands that that yeah. you know, he's the type of person who likes to be on his own to kind of deal with things, and he recognizes that's a little bit similar with Santana. At the mm. same time, he you know he he leaves right as she kind of breaks down again, but he also gives the jacket and says, "Here, you take this. You kind of wrap yourself up in thin, and you deal with this how you feel like dealing with it." Mm -hmm. You know, um, I'm really struck by that bit of the line you you read where he says, um, I'm sure Finn had secrets, too, because I think that's one of the few times in the episode that they reference anything about what Finn might have been thinking or feeling before his death. I guess um, when Rachel comes in later and talks about how they knew they would always end up together, that's another another mention of it but 
really, as I've mentioned before, this is a episode that's all about the grief and the people who are left behind and not the story of what happened to Finn. Hmm. And that little bit about Finn having secrets is so strange when you really think about it, which I've never done before this moment. Um, and uh, I wonder if it's maybe a little nod to um, uh, the real circumstances of Corey's death um, of a drug overdose and uh, um, how they didn't want to discuss that as part of the episode um, or something else, because they never tell us how Finn died. They tell us not to think about how Finn died. And the yeah. idea of Finn having secrets he never told is just an interesting little, uh, almost a throwaway line in there, but something that could lead to a lot of sort of fan fiction digging if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also think that it's yeah. a smart choice on them, on their part not to, because the minute they define what happened, then the episode becomes about that. Oh, and, I agree. And not mm-hmm. this, yeah. This yeah. And I didn't realize that until after, you know, Kurt said, you know, it doesn't really matter. And because I, I wanted to know like what happened, but yeah. you know, I didn't, I didn't, but then I, but then Kurt said that it doesn't matter how he died. And then, you know, you know, he, you know, and he was right. You know, it's really about the, yeah. Really irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Right. And it didn't stop fandom from coming up with reasons. I mean, everyone after this point who wrote a fanfic that had anything to do with with these characters relationship with Finn came up with some way that Finn had died. And, you know, I don't know if there is a sort of generally agreed upon way, but I've seen a lot where it's a car accident or whatever. But I Mm. like that they left it. Um, undefined in in canon because it doesn't really matter. It's it's yeah. not about what happened to him. It's about the life he led and the way he touched people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think it also goes along with the theme uh, that this episode is trying to show about we're not talking about the way he died. We want to talk about the way he lived. Um, which mm-hmm. will be echoed more so like in the in the later scene with a beast and talk where like that line between the two dates that yeah matters. So. Mm-hmm. Um, so the next scene is no surrender. Puck sings no surrender, and um, again, it's another one of those songs about living life where you have it and not regarding the choices that you. And um, then it gets into, after that, is the, you know, Santana notices that the jacket is missing, and I, it, everybody blames Puck, but Puck actually didn't do it. And there is a nice moment with Kurt, even though Puck is never going to be a favorite person of his, where he is very compassionate in a way of saying, you know, take the jacket, for what you need it for, for this 24 hours, and then you need to give it back. Yeah. I, I thought that something that I always wrestle with this scene is that, um, that, you know, after he sings the song, people get up and, you know, are trying to be, um, you know, gather around him, talk and say, you know, you know, good job and everything, and try to be supportive. And he he expresses, you know, his appreciation back and saying, I love you guys and everything. But the minute Santana comes in and excuse, you know, and accuses Puck of, 
taking the jacket, they all kind of fall into that. They all kind of scatter away and say, uh, they all assume that, you know, he's the one that took it and everything. Which, I mean, that's, uh, given park history, you would think that. But I just thought it how that how it was really, I was struck about how the, you know, how, how the reaction and, and uh, emotions change on a dime. Because the minute that he was accused of something, they all kind of, they all scattered and uh, he was left alone again. So, um, what do you guys think of Will? I, at this point, Will has taken the jacket and he's like, Talk, if you have it, give it back. And I'm always like, Ugh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when we talk about that scene later, that when that realization comes later, that that's the one point that really stuck um, and irritates me. Mm-hmm. That, that Will, you know, Will. Accuses Puck. I mean, well, well, I just said outright lies and accuses, you know, Puck of um, getting the jacket when he himself has it. So I thought that was pretty callous, mm-hmm. wrong on Will's part. Yeah, we could do a five-hour podcast about things that annoy me about Will. So. <laughs> I think we have. We add up all the time yeah. that we did together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. You know, okay, so there's kind of a tangent point that I want to bring up at this point, because I, I remember last time we tried to do this, I did bring this up, and I'm going to do it again. Um, in my notes, I wrote, I guess it's a good time to note that Kurt doesn't sing in the episode, and while it's dismayed to a lot of people, it, I, I kind of personally thought it was an interesting narrative choice. Kurt is so closed off about his grief that singing in public would seem almost invasive. Kurt always puts himself out there when singing in front of a group. This is a little too deep and a little too personal to sing about. Now, um, yeah, so that, that was my, my thought, that it's interesting to note that Kurt, who really is, you know, a lot of the glue about this episode, does not get his own personal song. And while I personally kind of think that was a choice on Chris's part, um, mm-hmm. it's still an interesting thing to fold into Kurt's narrative here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, um... I mean, I'm I'm a Kurtz voice stan, and I mm-hmm. always want Kurt to sing. Um, but I I'm I know that they asked each of the actors what they wanted to do in this episode, and I'm sure that Chris must have said that he didn't want to sing, and I definitely respect that. Um, uh, I, I I still think it's interesting to think about what the episode would have been like if Kurt had sung, um, and what he might have what he might've chosen. Um, and you know, it reminds me in, um, in some previous episodes, he did sing about his feelings for Finn, uh, back when he had a crush on Finn. Uh, that would have been an interesting, uh, an interesting parallel as well of how his, how his feelings about Finn have significantly changed over time from a crush that could never, be requited into um, a brotherly relationship. Um, Mm -hmm. That would have been really interesting to see. Um, But I think it also would have changed the, the role that Kurt has in the episode, which is, you know, a a supportive helping everyone else and guiding the narrative of the episode really Um, to have a spotlight on him um, would have made it very different. Mm -hmm. 
I also think it's kind of interesting that Kurt, while he does kind of pop up in these interesting moments of, like, helping people out, is really in the background, and he's almost on the outside. And I know we'll talk more about it when we get to the claim stuff, but, um, you know, in that first solo, he's on the way side of the uh, choir room, and each number, he kind of moves closer into the middle. And, as, like I said, we'll talk about it when we get to the claim, but they move closer to Blaine. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think that he doesn't want to be front and center for any of this, again, because he has his own way of dealing with it, and he's kind of just being the support for all of these other people who need this platform to express how they're feeling. Hmm. It's also, this, this is a point, this is the point at which, um, Kurt steps into a much bigger importance in Glee, the overall show as well. Mm -hmm. Um, With the male lead of the show gone, um, there was a void there. And it's a void that um, was filled in part by putting more emphasis on Kurt as a character, as well as some others. And Kurt was the one in position to sort of step into into Finn's shoes in some ways. Just a few episodes later, when they did um, the goodbye to Glee Club um, in the 100th episode, um, when they sang Don't Stop Believin', it was Kurt who came in for Finn's line. Um, And there's really no other character who could have done that um, based on the history and their relationships and being there from day one. Um, Kurt was the one who needed to do it and he did. Um, and it was surprising and heartwarming and, um, very moving, uh, when he did so. But I think in this episode with Kurt being somewhat backgrounded and then moving towards the center of the room, moving into, um, that space, um, I think is something that sort of continued throughout the rest of Glee. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting to look at the fact that Kurt essentially does become the male lead of the show and that he wasn't, to look at Kurt's kind of, he wasn't in the original script and they created this part and he started out very much of a background character and to work his way up to leading male role, it's just kind of fascinating to me, but it's very, like, this is how Glee is because you have Rachel, who is the main character, and she was always really, I mean, Will was essentially the first main character, but she was also like a second main character. And she was always been there, but then Kurt kind of came in and took everybody by surprise and really became it. And it, it just, it's interesting to see that dichotomy because what Glee became was a different thing than what it was when it started. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think... Um life is like that. Life is full of surprising twists that leads you to places that you never thought you'd go. Because in the very beginning, Kurt was rejected as not being a male lead. He couldn't be the male lead that Rachel needed beside her in Glee Club. Um, And then uh, we come around full circle um, to him being the one who fills that role and being able to fill that role and growing into that role um, is, um, you know, that's, that's what life is. You, you grow into the roles that you need to fill. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
kind of uh, bringing this back into the episode, that kind of leads into the end of Santana's plot, where she she goes and she sees Sue again, basically kind of to apologize. Um, and, you know, Sue says something that I think is really... She She's, like, goes kind of into this whole monologue about sometimes things happen and there's no reason and it's tragic or unexpected. And we can sit and say, you know, why did this happen? But sometimes there's no why. Sometimes it's just a thing that happens. Mm-hmm. And there are, there are two two meanings of a reason for something happening. And one is the backward looking reason and one's the forward looking reason. So you can look at what happened step by step and say, oh yeah, this led to that, led to that. And now we're here and that's what happened. And then you have a forward looking reason for what happened where you say, well, why did this happen? What's gonna happen next that this was necessary for? And I think what Sue's saying is, yeah, we can see how we got here or maybe we can't, maybe it was sudden, right? We don't know how he died, Um, but we can't see what this is leading us to. We can't see what's gonna happen from here. We can't see how this is going to affect us in the rest of our lives. We just have to keep on living and accept this as a thing that has happened and that has changed us and that is gonna be with us forever. Mm -hmm. Sue in this episode is very much I mean, she always kind of plays that role of fourth wall breaker, and obviously, like, it's going to be even more blatant come season six, but um, she has a way of just being the person, like, who's telling it like it is and saying mm-hmm. this is kind of the reality and, and meshing the fictional world with the real world because a lot of times whatever Sue is saying is really to the audience as well as the characters in the scene. Mm-hmm. Um And um, I wanted to mention that, you know, in the episode, she also, like you said, was seen as a fourth wall breaker. But sometimes we forget that in this episode, she was particularly callous in saying moving on and things. You know, at least it could be interpreted by some people as such. But thinking back to her own uh, in season too, I think, on their funeral episode when she lost her sister, somebody who she was really the closest to, and just to see her go through, because I was looking at, um, looking at her monologue at her own sister's funeral, and seeing how she she was, she was going to miss her sister, and she wished she had more time with her and everything, so I think in that respect, it just kind of using this episode to look back on that episode, we we see that that she does have emotion, you know, we did, that she does her own way of grieving. Um, she just doesn't, uh, it's just a different way of looking at it in this episode. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Kind of wrapping up Santana's plotline, I know this scene is farther ahead in the episode, closer to the end, but I want to kind of put it here. Um... The end of Santana's story is actually her in uh, talking, uh, she's putting up posters for the, the jacket, but she basically says, you know, there's nothing left for me here. You know, like, because Will's like, oh, everybody can always have a place here. 
And she's like, I don't know if I'm coming back. Like, and and there's kind of this, you know, splash of cold water, reality facing moment when you think, when you, you know, you look at a place where you spent a lot of time and realized, especially as a young person, you know, growing up from, from the place that they grew up in, um, there's a time in your life when things change and they can't really go back to where they were. And you do mm-hmm. kind of move on from that. And that can also be a hard thing to kind of deal with. Hmm. Yeah, and um, I think it's also foreshadowing that uh, time is coming to an end for the Lima story, because yeah. Finn um, was really the one making that work. He was the one tying the people in New York to the people at McKinley, and without him there, those bonds weren't strong enough to sustain the show in both places at once. No. Mm-hmm. And plus, you know, in season four, when there are you're talking about the graduates here. There was very much an issue of what would they considered home. They always had one foot in Lima and still one foot in New York. And it was always touched upon how how they considered one place home as opposed to the other place home when they had one foot in both places. But here was the here was the kind of turning point, I think, okay, at least for Santana and for the show that said, Okay, she's not going to be in Lima anymore and just time for her to move on with her life mm-hmm. yep yep so so yeah that kind of wraps up the Santana part of it going back to that thought of things are going to change the show changes and mm-hmm. it's never going to go back to the way it was even though man they're going to try and make it but <laughs> um but things are different now and you you can't go backwards. And that's kind of Santana's realization as she um, kind of decides that she's done with Lima. This is Mm. not where she needs to be anymore. It's, you know, really, truly time to move on. And in a way that's, you know, the whole rest of season five and going into season six is kind of wrapping up various things in different manners because we're going to get the middle of season five which wraps up kind of the show the mm-hmm. new york arc wraps up the new york people's stories and then season six kind of is like this coda that wraps up the entire purpose of the show in general so mm-hmm. um then there is the wrap up of the puck and beast stuff and you know, Puck and Beast, they plant this new tree, and they have a conversation about where Puck's going, and this is when Puck, I believe, decides to join the military. He's decided he wants to do some good, and um, I think it's a really great moment. It's a great scene. I, I do think that it was a very good way to send off Puck. I know that he comes back, but I, I do think it was a good, I don't know, it's a good a goodbye moment for the character. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I don't think they should have brought him back after that. I remember many people on Tumblr predicting that they would never bring Puck back after that. And I think that would have been a wise decision um, because he never quite fit in uh, in the in the couple of episodes he was there for. Um, yeah. afterwards. He, he always seemed a little out of place. It seemed like they were forcing back the, um, the relationships that existed in season one rather than letting the characters move on. Um, and I think that, um, that this would have been a good way to send him off to just have him out there in the air force. It was the air force, right? Um, 
and, uh, you know, out there moving on and living his life and not coming back to, to high school again, um, I think would have been better for him. But I do, I do like the scene. I do like that he brought the tree back and put his mark on it. And I like that he, um, uh, that, that, uh, that line about the dash between the two years being the whole of his life. Um, was very thought-provoking and, and interesting. Yeah, I never really thought of that before, but I really like it. I like that thought. Yeah. When you look at dates, everything in that dash is really what matters, and I, I think that's a really cool thought. Mm-hmm. And um, I also want to say about the tree itself, Hawk mentions, you know, he's like, do you think anybody is going to know why this tree was placed here? And Beast is like, no, probably not. And I think it's a fascinating thing that this tree is going to someday grow and be a huge big tree and people are going to, you know, do their homework or make out or just hang out or do whatever under this tree and not mm-hmm. you know, really know why it's there. So it's a way of saying that life goes on that yeah. Yeah. continues. Yeah. But uh, there's also the plaque under the tree. And haven't you ever seen a tree or a bench with a plaque mm-hmm. on it and wondered about absolutely. the person? Or yes. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of actually knowing someone who had a memorial tree. Um, There was a a professor at my college um, whose young son passed away at like four years old or something. It was before I was there. So I came and the tree had been growing there for five years, but I recognized her last name on the plaque and I wondered about it and found out the story. So I think that people do, um, people do look at those and wonder and, and want to know, um, who was this person? And also this isn't the only memorial for Finn at the school. There's also his quarterback, uh, his number five Jersey that is framed in the locker room. There's the plaque Mm. of him, um, in the uh, choir room. And so I think that, um, people, will know uh who he was and will see all these remember remembrances of him um and i don't think that he'll be forgotten quickly mm-hmm. no all right hey, can i circle back to one point because i just realized something as sure. nadia was talking about uh talking later episodes and we were early on we were talking about how quinn is not in this episode because diana didn't want to come back um, I think it was later on, I forgot which episodes it was, I guess, well, um, but in the scene where, in the episode, there were some episodes where Puck did come back later on, the hundredth, and episode. Quinn, yeah, the hundredth, I think, yeah, thank you, and Quinn did come back, and they did have a scene in, I think they did have a scene where Diana, or, yeah, well, Quinn was in, the locker, the football locker room, looking at Finn's jersey, mm-hmm. and they had a conversation yep. with that. So I think in that way they did acknowledge, you know, Quinn did acknowledge, you know, reacted to Finn's death, but a little later on. Yeah, there's in the in, in hundred. They are in because their relationship is starting to bud again, I guess, and. Uh, Puck is looking at the jersey and says, do you think he forgave us? And Quinn says, you know, I think he forgave us a long time ago. Yeah. So I think that 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 does reference that Quinn does acknowledge his mm-hmm. his passing in some way. So I just thought of that when Adi was talking about later episodes. 
the what we get next is um we get Rachel and her, you know, return. I mean, we have the memorial and you know, in comes Kurt and with, you know, with him is Rachel and I think it's interesting just right off the bat of how she looks and how she's very simple in her dress. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It's very season one, Rachel, I think. I mean, because we're used to seeing her in New York and all that. And now just the simplicity of all, like you said, and the way she's introduced really got to me to how she's, Again, she's her holding Kurt. Kurt's holding her hand, or she's leaning on Kurt for support. I thought yeah. that her entrance was very impactful that way. She looks very vulnerable. Um, she looks like she's not certain she wants to be there. Um, that she's uh, uh, cautiously stepping in uh, rather than walking in like she owns the place the way she normally used to um, when she was when she was there. Mm-hmm. Um, she doesn't have her signature confidence and loudness. She is quite the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. I think she also looks really young here too. I think that, you know, a lot of season four, she was trying to be so hard to be an adult in here. She feels yes. very, yes, very young. Yes. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so her, performance it, it's interesting at first she's like you know don't treat me with like a kid interestingly um but then she she goes on to sing um which i believe leah michelle picked out i think this was really actually a song that meant a lot to her um adele's make you feel my love mm-hmm. and um something that i want to point out about this particular performance is that most of the time I feel like you can't, they do such a great job in the show, you can't tell that they're lip syncing. But here, the difference between the vocals being very steady and very sure, and when in mm-hmm. visually, she's completely breaking down. And if she had actually been singing the song live, it would have been like the like Darren's teenage dream. It would have been just a mess. Um, she, she would not have been able to like, be that very steady and sure that you can hear. And it's interesting. It doesn't take away from the emotion for me, but I can just tell it's definitely a lip synced performance opposed to um, a live one. Ah, interesting. Yeah. We got, I never really thought until now that she was lip synced. Mm. Um, yeah, but um, despite that, the emotions feel very real and very present. Um, she, uh, she sings the emotions and she acts the emotions um, perfectly. Uh, And the fact that they don't exactly match in the physicality of it, um, it didn't distract from the experience for me. No, no, she does. It's it's interesting because it doesn't. I think that I feel like we all feel right there with her. Mm -hmm. Um, It's to me, I think it is one of, the best racial performances on the show because so often we are stuck with you know over the traditional racial solo which is her belting out something and crying through it and here this is real genuine emotion and it's so impactful because of that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i uh i can't 
I can't help but remember, like, behind the scenes of this thing, when they were talking about it, I think, if I remember correctly, they said this was the first scene that they shot of the episode when they were shooting. I think so, that's like, right, or at least it was the first song that they shot. Or something, like, the first song, yeah. And so, the, so everybody kind of took their cues from... Um, I, I, I remember everybody saying that when speaking about the episode that she was, uh, Leah Michelle was so, Leah, Leah Michelle so much for putting herself out there and for being so brave that they kind of fed off. She set the tone for the entire shooting of the episode. So I think once she went first, I think that everybody kind of followed her lead from there. So uh, from an emotional standpoint for the cast, that was a very impactful moment for them behind the scenes for them. Mm-hmm. So and it's amazing how strong she was with this whole yes. thing. Um, um, obviously she was, um, you know, so deeply affected um, personally mm-hmm. and uh, to be able to get up there and, you know, not just to perform, but to be an example for the rest of the cast and crew and to be um, so giving to the fans of the show Mm-hmm. Um, just incredible. Yep. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Agreed. Yeah. Um, before we jump into the racialness of more so, I kind of want to talk about, cause we haven't really talked about it at all. Um, well, first I want to talk about Blaine, uh, because we haven't really mentioned Blaine all that much. Blaine doesn't say anything in the entire episode. He doesn't really have any reaction shots. He kind of sits off to the side for the entirety of this episode. Um, now, most of the new cast, the newbies, they, they don't do anything um, either, but I think it's interesting uh, that he really is not a presence at all in this episode. Um, and then you get, you know, I would have said, I would have not noticed it, or I wouldn't have thought much of it if it didn't seem so intentional. But you, the curtain blame, there's not really curtain blame stuff in this, in this episode. They start off the episode at two opposite sides of the choir room. And every performance they have, they get closer and closer together. And then, mm-hmm. you know, during this one, they are, they're holding each other during this song. And it's definitely um, a moment for the two of them to be sad, but also grateful that they have each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess I kind of want to hear what your guys' thoughts are on this. Mm-hmm. I think it's um, um, extra impactful uh, that it's this song that they are together for because this is the moment when um, Finn is being mourned as you know a partner, as a, a romantic partner, um, rather than just as a friend or as a son. Not I don't want to say just, rather than as a friend or a son. Um, and that's the moment that um, Kurt and Blaine are holding uh, holding hands together as a couple um, in this, you know, moment of romantic loss. Mm-hmm. You know, something that you were talking about earlier, Nadia, about not knowing Kurt's, how he's getting through this and everything. And I think it's interesting that Kurt spends this entire episode, you know, doing stuff for all of these other people. And it isn't 
until the very end, because we don't see Kurt after this. This is the last scene that Kurt is in. He goes all the way through this episode, and then he ends up next to Blaine. And I, I kind of, I don't know, I just, I don't know if I have, like, a great piece of meta to go along with that, but I just think it's an interesting thing. But Blaine, even in this scene, seems like he's doing worse than Kurt is. Mm. He's crying more. Yeah, but I'm just, I, I think that, you know, now that Kurt has worked his way through all of this, he can go back to being, you know what Blaine needs and yeah. I don't know I just I don't know like I said I don't have any concrete answer or worked it out in my own head I just think it's an interesting thing so. I think that um, if Kurt and Blaine had been clinging together through the whole episode Kurt wouldn't have been as available for his friends is that another way of Maybe, saying the yeah. same thing Maybe, yeah yeah. That um, he needed to be there to support everyone, and if he's standing there holding Blaine's hand the whole time, then others won't feel comfortable coming to him yeah. because they'll think that he's busy. Well, and I guess maybe also throwing out there, I guess, you know, a lot of us are like the Kurt side on this particular podcast, but what is Blaine going through, do you think? During yeah. Oh boy. yeah, I don't think I don't think Blaine has any kind of comfortable relationship with death. I don't think he he um, well, like I, I don't think he has known anyone who died. That that would be my headcanon that he just yeah. has never gone through a serious personal loss before, like, you know, maybe a great aunt or something. But no, nobody that he was super close to and certainly nobody that was his age. Um, yeah. and I think that he, um, you know, he had a sort of, um, complicated relationship with Finn. Um, yeah. but I think that that, uh, might've even made it more difficult to, to think, you know, um, at one point we were rivals or enemies and, and, and at another point we were friends and really, um, close to each other. And, you know, how does that affect the way I should be grieving? I also... Yeah have to wonder because again we're talking about this particular song being about your attachment to a romantic partner if Blaine and I feel like this will connect to Bash a little bit is saying oh my god I can't you know I'm watching Rachel go through this I can't imagine yeah. losing you Kurt you know yeah for sure yeah. Are actually feeling that towards each other or at least I've gotten yeah. out of the scene I think so and Plus, I think just just from a fandom point of view, I remember back then when the episode aired, I think there was a lot of question about how the fandom was acting itself, about how Blaine was reacting. And if I remember correctly, if I remember, there was like an explosion of, of, of fan fiction reaction about from Blaine's point of view, I think, just because the Venom was trying to work itself, or trying to answer, trying to puzzle out the question about how Blaine was feeling, I just remember there was the, the reaction fiction, or the fan fiction reaction to that, just kind of shocked, increased, increased a lot, because a lot of people were asking the same questions. Like, we're asking about how Blaine was feeling, why didn't we get any kind of reaction from him? So they're trying to kind of fill the gaps of that. I, at least that's what I remember 
fan of going through at the time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, I was thinking, did, did, uh, I'm trying to think, did um, any, um, was there any, uh, was there, was there, I know Finn and, uh, Finn and uh, Blaine had some, you know, interaction through season four of the, you know, of the breakup and everything in the aftermath of that, but did they have really have any scenes after that in season in season four or not? Like I'm trying to figure out what their not relationship really. Been. I mean, they had the stuff in dynamic duets, but after that, other than like you guys are feuding, n- uh, yeah. not really. No. Okay. Alright, so, yeah, that was, that was a, that was a, I guess a, partly due to real life circumstances, but that, that wasn't, that was a thing that I wish, our, our friendship relationship, I, I wish that could have been explored a little bit more, but unfortunately due to circumstances, couldn't happen, but, yeah, I think that was one of the reasons why you couldn't really see there wasn't much of Blaine's reaction in this episode, except for this with Kurt. Yeah. yeah. I think um, logistically with the storytelling in season four, um, Finn had his whole story of, um, you know, becoming a teacher and interacting with the newbies and Blaine and Sam had a bunch of interaction with each other and they just didn't, those stories didn't intersect very well. Mm. So we didn't see them interacting with each other one-on-one a lot because Blaine was doing his one-on-one stuff with Sam as something for the other characters to be doing while Finn had this, you know, big story. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Good point. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah, this wraps up the the Kurt part of it, though, because it's just... He... Mm -hmm. I mean, most of it is just wrap-up of the other stories, but I do think it's interesting. This is a good... 12-ish minutes from the end or so so we don't even though Kurt's such a huge part of this particular episode it's interesting that it wraps up here and yeah it's sort of like he passes on the narration to Rachel right when she shows up mm-hmm. and they're together and then the story moves on as Rachel's story yep mm-hmm. and she's the one who goes to talk with Will so yeah, let's talk about Rachel's conversation with Will. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, sounds like you have an opinion, Nadia. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, well, no, no, no. I'm jumping ahead because we should talk about, you know, her expression of emotions first before we talk about the uh, the uh, alternate ending mm. of Glee. Well, it, it's she has this... I do think it's a really lovely speech about, you know... She, she talks about how she still communicates to him and, and how, how, you know, raw and sad she is, but he's still a part of her and she still believes that he's there. And it's just a really beautiful little yeah. montage. Yeah. And the line, he was my person is just mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. strength. Yeah, absolutely. It, it it has so much meaning, even though the words are all very like they sound. It sounds like you know ordinary. Like he was my person. Nothing's like flowery about that statement, but it just has so much more meaning than the words that are in it. And it, and it lets 
eventually be a little bit deeper than like, cause they're, they work together at this point and they weren't really yeah. in each other's lives at this point, but it's like this person still meant so much and everything and, and was such a huge part of me that it's still just incredibly devastating. Yeah. And I think for some of us who weren't the biggest fans of Finchel, um, for me, it, um, it made their relationship mean a lot more than it had before. Like I saw it in a new light. I saw it as, you know, there are all these reasons that they may or may not be well suited to each other. They want to live in different cities. How are they going to resolve this? You know, what are the logistics of this relationship? And then to just take Mm -hmm. a step back and hear her say, he was my person and he was the one that I always thought that I would end up with. It really um, gives depth to why they were going through all that back and forth and, you know, how much it really meant to them. Mm-hmm. And even in a, even let's say hypothetically in an alternate, like Finn lives and they go on and they live the rest of their lives in different places. Mm-hmm. That doesn't diminish all of the, you know, all of the stuff that Finn had meant to her or probably mm-hmm. still meant to her or, you know, this relationship was important and integral to where they were in their lives. And no matter what happens in the future, when you look back on that, it's still a significant thing. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. So. And this the other striking thing that I thought about this scene was that, you know, we talked about Will on some level trying to hold it together and be supportive. But I think that this is like the only the second time in any of the episode, aside from Emma, that somebody asked how he's doing. Because Rachel comes in and asks Will, how are you holding up or how are you doing? And then... Will responds that he didn't really know. He's still processing it. But this is the only this is the only the second time in the episode that he, somebody asked how he's doing. He's really actually doing aside from Emma. And I think um, I think Rachel and Will are in sort of similar positions here because mm-hmm. Will always was a father figure for Finn, but not really his father, mm-hmm. not even his stepfather. Um, and then uh-huh. Rachel is the girlfriend or wife figure, even though they never got married and they uh, were not in a relationship at the time of his death. So they both have this um, very close relationship, but one that is not formalized in any mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, let's talk about. <laughs> so Rachel in her speech talks about uh, the fact that she knew how her life was going to be planned out, that she was going to be Fanny, and then she was going to do a Woody Allen film of (laughs) that. (laughs) Um, And then come back to Lima and live with Finn. And yeah, yeah, that the reason that that whole speech is there is that is how Ryan Murphy envisioned the original ending of Glee. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was basically the, the alternate ending put into Rachel's speech right there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Um, 
I'll go ahead and be the one to say it. It feels like a betrayal of everything. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I I mean, I have no problem with Rachel and Finn ending up together at the end, but it shouldn't be in Lima. Um Rachel is such an ambitious character and for her to go through all that struggle and achieve her dreams and then realize they weren't worthwhile and give it all up would just have been horrifying. Um, all these people who grew up with Glee and were inspired by it to receive that message at the end. It's just like, it feels, I'll say it again, like a betrayal of the whole message of the show. Well, um, much guess- better would be for, Finn to find a way to go live in New York um, with Rachel being a star, um, that would have been a fine ending for me. <laughs> I, I will go ahead and, and be the person who jumps on top of that and says the thing that nobody really wanted to say. Um, it is 100% awful and tragic that this happened, and I wish that this would have never happened in this, this, you know, I, I will never say, Oh yeah, I'm happy that Corey died. I will never, ever, you know, uh-huh. but I will say the story that is born out of this tragedy is the better story. The yeah. stuff that, you know, I mean, and I can't understand, you never know. I know we don't really know what was going to happen. So I can't say that. Yeah. He might've been talked out of it. Yeah. But I do yeah. think that the choices they made going forward, I enjoyed. I do like the story that came out of what happened here. That doesn't mean yeah. that I am glad he died or mm-hmm. that I, you know, I have no heart. But I think, you know, there's an undercurrent of a lot of people thinking that and feeling they couldn't say it. Um, so I figured I would be the one to publicly Yeah, I understand what you mean. Yeah. yeah. Um, like, I personally think that Rachel and Jesse, I, 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 I always wanted them to end up together. I'm, I'm sorry that they had to under, you know, the, circum- the, the circumstances for what they were. I'm sorry that that happened. But but like you said, like, I, I, I'm glad that I like the story that they ended up with. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that um, by this point in the show, by this point, I mean, like by mid season four, they had written them in, they had written themselves into a lot of problems. They had written themselves into too many characters and um, scattered plots and storylines all over the place that weren't really adding value to the show. Um, they might have been fun or whatever, but they weren't part of the core message and they were distracting from things. They had put themselves in two different locations, which is very difficult to um, reconcile. They had, um, you know, uh, put some characters central to the show that were not, um, not favorites with the fans, all these newbies coming in that we were like, why are they here? Um, And I think that they had just, the the show was, you know, to poorly paraphrase Finn going all over the place. And um, uh, I think that um, uh, when Corey died, they were forced to sit down and say, what is essential? What, can we really do going forward? And it was a a focal point that allowed them to um, make difficult decisions about cutting away things that didn't need to be on the show anymore. Um, And I think because of that, they were able to really focus on what stories they wanted to tell and what fans really wanted to see, which is why the second half of season five was such an incredibly good show um, because they had 
taken this moment to um, to refocus, uh, which they wouldn't otherwise have done. And it's incredibly tragic that this is what caused them to do that. Um, and I wish they could have made those decisions without having to have a real life tragedy at the core of them. Um, but I do think that, like you said, um, it really did um, end up making the show tighter and better. Yeah, more focused. Mm-hmm. I, I think that yeah. when you look at the show structure, yeah, they were like kind of waiting for the hundredth episode to kind of do a series ish finale. And then we get two codas. We get the New York arc, which is for us. And then we get season six, which is kind of a, we're going to throw it back to season one and wrap it, wrap it up as much as, you know, I don't know. So I, I think that the, the focusing, because season four, you're right, was just all over the place and it became a much more focused show again, which was needed. So. Yeah, I think, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, it, it's uncomfortable to say these things because of course we would all prefer Corey live. Um, mm. And, um, and uh, you know, so it, it's a complicated emotion, which is difficult to talk about on the internet because everyone wants to, um, you know, make a straw man and pigeonhole you into saying something <laughs> simple, but this is not a thing that's simple. This is a thing that's complicated and you can feel bittersweet about it and you can feel, you know, uh, happy and guilty at the same time. And, um, I think we should acknowledge that, you know, many of us do feel, feel that way. Yeah. Well, it's an undercurrent of stuff that I've heard numerous people say, so don't <laughs> act, not you guys, but like out there in general, don't <laughs> act like a lot of you have not talked about this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and also kind of something that I don't think I mentioned or way early at the beginning, but Kurt kind of became the male lead of the show after this. Yeah. And yeah, that yeah. is why Clayne got to have these delicious, like, struggles and arcs. And yeah, it wasn't perfect, but they would have, you know, think if, if Finchel had still been the focus, they still probably would have gotten less treatment and we would have gotten less story and... You know, as a, a Curtin Blaine fan, I am glad that we got to see focus on characters I enjoy. Again, I don't want it to be at the expense of anybody else, nor do I, you know, right. am I happy about it. But I do enjoy what happens afterwards. So, um, so we kind of, was there any more about the, the Rachel and, and Will scene that you guys wanted to talk about? Hmm... Um, just that um, it was another opportunity to leave mementos around because she gave him that plaque, yeah. which that we then see several more times um, before the end of Glee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, particularly at the very end of Glee, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the final shot. That, that was in the final shot. That's of the true. That's, you're right. Yeah. It, yeah. it is a lovely quote. I think it is a fantastic just thought for life about the show has to go all over the place or something. Yeah, um, and it's a nice way to kind of remind you, you know, life is messy, uh, but it, it's yeah. also joyful. Yeah. So, and then, yeah, really, the only last thing is that last scene with Will and Emma, and um, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I I really have mixed feelings about the scene because I on one level I can know this is a scene where. You know, well, finally breaks down and 
you know, lets it all, his emotions flow and everything. And you can tell that he's really having all his emotions catch up to him and really releasing it. And this is a time that Emma really realizes and it's comforting him there from, but on the same level, I am, I was really angry on some level that he, uh, he um, thought that he, he's the one that swiped Pin's jacket and why everybody but it was accusing Puck of this and, uh, and that, and that, uh, I, so my feelings about this scene was complica- complicated, and plus, I kept on, even afterwards, I kept on, in the future episodes, I kept on wanting him to give the jacket back. Yeah. Kurt. Whatever happened, what happened to the jacket on the show? Did we ever see it again? No. I don't, I don't think we ever saw it again. Maybe yeah. he did give it back. We can yeah, imagine that he did. did in the hunt. No, that was the jersey. I was like, we see the jersey hanging up in the yeah. locker room. I don't, yeah, but I don't think we ever saw that jacket again. No. no. And that that uh, that always was gnawing at me at the till the end of the uh, series. Actually, I was. I mean, I can understand why you everybody was talking about like yeah, we were talking already about having mementos or something remembrances, but the fact that he's got the jacket and he blamed Puck for this and let Puck um, take the blame for it and you know uh, yeah it did it didn't sit well with me. Yeah. No, I don't think it sat well with a lot of people. And on the one hand where you can say, okay, well this is you know, Will has gone through this whole episode and you know, he was a, this, you know, great guy for whatever. Um, but then he breaks down in the end because he is human and he has, like, you know, and Will and Emma has to help him. I, I get it, even if I don't personally feel it with his character. I get the, the arc that they were trying to do. But yeah. looking at this jacket, it just makes him feel a level of, I hate to say this, but, like, a level of patheticness. I, it just, like, really, like, did you really have to steal and then blame somebody else? For this, yeah, you know, you know what I just thought of? Hmm. You know, Will doesn't sing in this episode either. He doesn't even hmm. sing in Seasons of Love. No. Yeah, he, do you think yeah, maybe that's he should true. have sang? Yeah. Um, like, would that have helped him? Maybe. Maybe. You know, that's a great point. I didn't realize that either until you said it. Oh, wow. Huh. I don't know. Maybe so, but... That would have been a pretty interesting, or uh, put a, a no, another layer of meaning onto it, I think. But It maybe. might have been a healthier way for him to deal with his emotions. I mean, he set up that whole memorial so that everyone could sing, and then he didn't yeah. sing. Yeah, and what's, inter- what, what's unique about that is that the only, that's the one of the few times he didn't sing, because he, uh, he sings when, like... He sings at other times of shows to the Billy Club. I mean, yeah, and he or, had just recently had that feud song with Finn, so. Yeah, oh yeah, he did. Yeah. Uh. I don't know, maybe uh. Matthew Morrison didn't want to sing either. Maybe, maybe. yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Right. Well, That's uh, definitely a reason, no. That kind of wraps up the episode portion. I, was there anything in your guys' notes that you feel like we wanted to go back to before we talk about some real-life stuff? Or 
Please. Okay, so Please. I'm just letting my listeners now know we, we've wrapped up the um, episode portion. If you guys don't want to talk about anything that's happening in real life, you can. I understand. Uh, you can skip ahead. Next week we'll be doing Katie and Agaga. For, so um, I understand. Otherwise, I do know that uh, my guests had some commentary that they would like to talk about regarding Corey, regarding the most recent stuff that's happened, unfortunately, with Mark Salling. And so I'm going to go ahead and let them... I, I know, Nadia, that you wanted to say something. So. Uh, I don't want to start it off. <laughs> um, okay, so, um, like I said, I've watched this episode several times. I watch it, um, you know, when um, I'm feeling particularly sad in my life when something has happened. Um, and so when I watched it um, again for this podcast, um, uh, you know, the news about Mark Selling, I, you know, I feel like people in the future might be, um, might be listening to this episode and saying what happened with Mark Selling. So let me just say, uh, a, a few days ago, uh, Mark Selling, um, uh, committed suicide. Uh, he, uh, was about to be, uh, sent to jail on child pornography charges and, um, chose to end his life instead of doing that. Um, and so that was quite a shock, um, for all of us, um, and for the people who knew him as well. Um, and that coming just a few days before um, rewatching this episode, um, uh, I was, of course, thinking of, of his passing um, as I watched, um, which is, you know, a very different experience than watching it, um, thinking primarily of Corey or thinking primarily of, you know, someone that I might know personally. Um, and... Uh, so I found that that when I watch it, I get something different out of it based on what's going on in my life. Um, and, uh, you know, watching with um, Mark Salling's death in mind, um, what I found myself noticing was the cinematography. Actually, I noticed that so much, so many of the scenes are in shadow, um, starting at the very beginning with... Um, uh, with uh, Seasons of Love when they're all in the darkened auditorium. There are at least two other scenes in the darkened auditorium, the one with um, Kurt and Santana talking and the one with Sam and Artie singing. Um, in the scene where uh, um, where uh, 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 Bert and Carol and Kurt are all uh, talking at home, the rooms, you can see the door open and you can see other rooms in the house that are dark behind them. Um, and the, the room that they're in lit by lamps rather than, you know, big overhead lighting. Um, and it just like made me feel very um, like shadowy about the world. I know that's kind of like deep and weird, but um, it just, you know, the, the, the horrible circumstances of everything that Mark Salling got into and, um, and then his death, uh, uh, it just, it left me feeling very gloomy um, more so than previous times that I've watched this episode and um, felt like celebrating the lives of people. It was, it was a very different experience. You know, and I hmm. think that's interesting because, Kind of to throw it to my own experience, again, I've had a difficult year and nobody's passed away, but I guess you could say, because um, I don't necessarily want to get on, into it on the podcast, that my family life has changed irreversibly and there's no, it, it feels like the passing of, uh, you know, a way of life that I will never know again. 
and Hmm. it is its own kind of tragicness. And when I kind of came back and watched it, I, I find, I, you know, I find my, I find myself like, I was kind of glad. I know a lot of people are like, are you really going to do the quarterback meta after all of this has happened? And I'm like, yeah, actually going back and, you know, hearing Kurt's monologue and seeing, you know, Oh, we talked a lot about how grief has affected all of these characters, but sometimes you feel all of these types of grief at once or in different moments in, in your, you know, trying to process something. And um, I felt more attached to it than I did um, when it first aired. So yeah. it's interesting how, as you said, you can come back to this and feel different um, how it affects you differently when you're coming from different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that really speaks to how well done this episode is, that it includes so many different types of reactions to grief and life changes and how things that might have, you know, flown right past you the first time because you weren't at that kind of place in your life might, you know, end up jumping out at you as things that are really important to you at another time. Mm-hmm. And building off of what Pip said, um, for me, I had really mixed emotions about the set because the rewatching it, because um, on one level, I had the personal uh, family member or extended family member pass away about a month ago. I was very close to and so this this affected me personally in that way and and how Pam was how you were seeing Pam how you could really you know how people are going through different processes of different perspectives of grief that really hit was more poignant for me and I got a lot of out of it that way so it was very therapeutic for me to watch it in this and to kind of you look upon that lens about having something real personal happening to me just about a, uh, recently. But on the other hand, with Mark Salling's, uh, what happened with Mark Salling, uh, I have to be honest is that I felt very conflicted with this episode because prior to what happened to him, even when he was convicted of um, those horrible um, crimes that he was convicted of, the child pornography, even to that point, after that point, I had a very hard time separating the character from the person, mm-hmm. you know, in, in in subsequent rewatches and and you know other podcasts and uh, ever uh, I, and how um, I just had a very difficult time separating the two. And for me, for this, when I rewatched it, I just felt uh, the whole thing about Puck's storyline was. I found myself very difficult to separate the thing, but to try to focus more on Puck's character, I mean, yeah. the character of Puck. But even in that sense, how, you know, how the characters are so, uh, sometimes the characters are very much like, uh, well, I shouldn't say yeah. very much like, but drawn upon the person. I felt that there was, there was more of a sense of tragedy about what happened with Mark in real life than what happened with Puck, because Puck was going through all these things, and he was ultimately able to put himself technically on a better path, but how, and how, in real life, how 
um, how Mark was, you know, the, the turns that Mark, Mark's life took. And it, I just thought the whole sense of tragedy and what his character said, I think just the, just the kind of, see yeah, how it reflected on him as a real life Mark as a person, I just found the whole thing extremely tragic, even more so than this happened, that this happened. And it's ironic that we're discussing this episode on the heels of what happened to him, but it just, yeah, I felt very, very conflicted with his parts of the episode. I agree. Um, I find it hard to, to watch Puck. I Puck was never a favorite character of mine. I was always a little mystified at the people who were um, uh, into Puck in fandom, um, a sort of bemused, like, all right, that's going on over there. Uh, and he had some interesting things, but, you know, since um, uh, since he was arrested initially a couple of years ago, it's been very hard to go back, and the feelings there are, are more negative. Um, but um, I think even more so now, and this episode in particular, because, you know, I'm always... I'm always big on separating the actor from the character, but in Glee, that's not always um, accurate <laughs> because we know how much Ryan Murphy likes to write some real life um, personality traits and things into uh, the characters they were portraying, not to get carried away with that. But um, but it, it does make you wonder how much of Mark Salling's real life got into the character of Puck um, and vice versa. Um and, uh, and and wondering as well how how Corey's death might have affected Mark and whether it's similar to the way Finn's death a- affected Puck or not. Um, and that's very complicated and convoluted, and we'll never know the real answers to it. But it does make me wonder whether um, you know whether Corey's death was one of the twists and, and turns that um, uh, that 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 brought Mark dark. I think if nothing else, it is a way to take a step back and look and say, oh, you know, with Corey's death, that was a real tragedy. There was a real person on the other side of that screen mm-hmm. who lived a life. And in with, with Mark Snelling, whether you can sympathize or villainize, keep in mind that he had a family and that right. that family is grieving. Mm-hmm. So my heart is out to them. I, I don't yeah, yeah, I, for I think sure. it's disgusting on many levels of what you know he did, but yeah. my heart goes to his family because that is an amazing thing. Yeah. yeah. Um and I want to remember as well that um that Corey's death uh um I mean it was it was extremely tragic and at the time there were people who were trying to take away from that tragedy um, because of his drug addiction. Um, and I don't want to compare the two situations. I just want to say that death is always complicated and people's mm-hmm. lives are always complicated and there's always more than you see from afar. Um, and I don't want to, um, I don't want it to, to take away from the people who are grieving Mark because their grief is a real thing that they are feeling. Um, and we can be um, completely disgusted with the crimes he committed um, and still be respectful of the people who knew him in real life. Right. right. Yep. I think that, um, oh shoot, what was I gonna say? Um, 
I think it's fascinating that we ended up doing this after that. Fascinating, not in a like exploitive way. Um, it's just strange that, you know, we, we ended up doing this podcast after that tragedy happened. It's strange how things work out like that. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and saying, the, the, Oh, go ahead. The feelings and opinions that we're having are filtered through this event that's just happened. Whereas if we had done the podcast two weeks ago, we might've had different things to say. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yep. I think it's really interesting because I, I know I told Nadia this. I don't know if you guys, if I told you guys this either. Um, we did the Love, Love, Love podcast the same day Darren and Mia announced their engagement. Um, oh! So yeah. this podcast wow. has been really interesting this year. We're kind of um, going to see like what else I can prophesize. Um, Additionally, um, you know, this is the quarterback episode and currently right now, as we speak, the Super Bowl is being played. Yeah. That is true. And none of us are watching it and we have no idea who is winning. Because yeah. <laughs> that's how much we care about football. Um, so, yeah. Um, but uh, I just want to let you guys have a moment. Um, if there's anything else that you guys wanted to add, this would be before I kind of wrap everything up. So um, I just want to say one more time, thank you to all the people involved in making this episode, because yeah. I really, um, I really appreciate everything that, that it has done for me. Among, because other, I was sort of reflecting upon the wider um, thing, because uh, I think as a whole, how we handled boys passing and how you know how they were there for the classmates and crew and everything I think comparison to the other show I think comparison to how other shows have handled similar situations with their characters and I think I really gained the further respect for the crew and cast and everybody associated with that just the way how they handled everything this episode, how they handled things behind the scenes, I really gained another level of respect for them because yes. it, this is incredibly hard for everybody. You know, it's incredibly hard for the cast, incredibly hard for the crew. I'm grateful for Ryan Murphy and for Leah Michelle to be able to continue on because they thought the cat, you know, the cast needed, you know, to some, they also needed some support and everything. And I'm, and I, I'm just really impressed like Nadia, how they really wrote this entire episode. The, 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 I think overall the tenor, the, uh, the tone with the episode was really well done, how they how they uh, presented all these different types of grief, you know, perspectives on grief and everything. I just thought it was really well done overall, and I applaud them for it, because other TV shows and other, how they had their character deaths in real life, they didn't they handled uh, I can't think of any come to mind, but I, there are there are a couple that have handled extremely poorly in my in my uh, point of view. So in comparison to that, I think Glee did an excellent job, given the difficult circumstances. So well done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I want to thank you guys for coming on. This is was not an easy podcast. I know a lot of people asked me to not do it. <laughs> um, 
Uh, so I really appreciate, you know, your guys' insight and respect. Um, and, you know, we, we have a lot of fun. We, we, you know, talk really primarily about Kurt and Blaine and just get into some silly discussions. But to take a step back and really be serious and really, you know, talk about these deeper things and do it in such a respectful and, you know, intelligent manner, I, I thank you guys for coming on here and doing that with me. So thank you for having us. Oh, absolutely. Oh, thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you for all <laughs> so, the work you put into Today Dream Believers. Oh, yeah. thank you. It's like a second job for you. Oh, it really is. <laughs> I wish I was getting paid. Um, <laughs> so uh, join us next week. Uh, we're going to go back to light, bright, and happy with uh, a Katie or a Gaga. And uh, join us uh, every Sunday night. Thank you. feel so young you make me feel like spring has sprung like the